Sales Tuners, Episode 43, Scott Kramer, Vice President of Sales at Greenlight Guru. They can quickly look like the perfect prospect. The reality is, how do you figure out who's real and who's not as early on in the sales process as possible? That's the challenge. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from George Adair, who said everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. My guest today is one of those that has literally done it all in sales. Scott Kramer has opened new markets. He's been a sales trainer, managed both channel sales as well as inside sales, and he's been a VP of sales with multiple companies, including Angie's List, Delivera, and now Greenlight Guru. He considers himself an introverted extrovert, and has dreams of owning a 67 Mustang Fastback. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 43. But now, let's get to the conversation where Scott talks about his current challenges of moving a highly regulated industry from paper and Excel to the world of SaaS. There's some folks we talk to that have been through the process before. They get it. They know what tomorrow's going to look like and kind of the... Uh, the gauntlet that they're going to have to go through. And they, they get why we do what we do. There's, there's the other side of the coin, people that have never taken a med device to market. It's their first time. And they kind of, they kind of feel like they can just power their way through it because they, they haven't seen, they haven't seen what a miserable existence they could have by trying to use all those old systems. Wow. That's, that's fun. I, I'm going to build back up to where you are today, Scott, but take me way back, right? In this show, as you know, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. But before we got there, before you were the Scott of today, how did you even get into sales? I went to college for hospitality management, went to Purdue University, and, and I thought I was going to manage country clubs my entire life. I, I enjoyed that when I was younger. And so I did that for a couple of years out of college, and, and I just didn't enjoy, I was looking at my boss at the time and I didn't really enjoy what he was doing. And so that's where I started to say, well, this might not be for me. And I had a, a friend in college, his dad owned a business and he knew me on a personal level. And, you know, he said, well, you like to talk and, uh, you get along with people. Let's, let's get you into sales, Scott. So, you know, he gave me my first sales job that brought me to Indianapolis and, uh, you know, I guess the rest is history sort of, but that's, that's how I officially transitioned into sales. I've heard that so many times. Uh, you like to talk, so we need to get you into sales as if that's what uh, we should be doing. As, <laughs> as you know, we need to spend more time listening than we do talking as salespeople, but that's fun. That's exactly right. But you know, the, the belief structure is, oh, you're, you're friendly. You, you like to talk. Surely you can pitch. And, and oftentimes, like you said, that gets us into more trouble once we're actually in the, you know, carrying the bag. Absolutely. Now, Scott, you've sold everything from advertising to manufactured products and obviously SaaS solutions, multiple SaaS solutions. What do you think has been the biggest similarity or, or difference at the same time in all those different types of sales cycles? I think the similarity is people will let you as the sales individual, they will let you own the process if you're, if you're willing to. Um, meaning if I have a structured process, if I am doing my upfront contracts, if I'm working somebody through a pain funnel, if I'm 
clearly articulating next steps, my audience will typically allow me to do that. It's, it's, when, it's when I don't have a process or I'm very wishy-washy or um, I don't seem like I have a, an end in mind. They take control of the call and I, I quickly lose, lose all control over that sales process. Talk to me more a little bit about that. What do you mean by if you have a process? Every, it seems like every salesperson has a process. Yes, I guess they do in their own minds, but I also know, especially like as far as the disc profile goes, a lot of salespeople out there are high eyes, which are influencers, and they they have a tendency to be the king of wing. So they go out there and their process is, I wing it. And if you interview them, they'll actually be proud of the fact that they are able to wing it. Well, that's not a process. It's not repeatable. It's not scalable. And if you if they do have success and you say, why are you being successful? They, they probably can't tell you or it's not going to be um, a real, a true statement. If they're not having success and you say, why are you struggling? They're not going to be able to tell you. Again, winging it's not the way to go. So then how do you, how do you get the prospect to kind of morph to your, your process, as you said, without kind of seeming really, yeah, I'm going to use the word bossy. Like I'm, I'm a high D and sometimes it comes across as being very pushy. I mean, I think it can a little bit's tonality, but it, I think it really comes back to just being naturally curious I can have a process. I can give you an upfront contract. Here's, here's what I'm hoping happens on this call. What do you want to see happen on this call, right? A very simple upfront contract. And then I want to start to learn about your company, your, your, your organizational structure, your product. And if I'm naturally curious and I'm, I'm in the moment and I truly care, you know, the, it seems very conversational. But ultimately what I'm looking for is I'm looking for pain and I'm looking for to quantify that pain, to see if there's a mutual fit, to see if our product can solve some of the issues that you're facing. I want to talk about Angie's list real quick. So, you know, you took them from seven salespeople to 125. The reason why I'm pointing that out is you've seen a lot of salespeople in your career. What are the traits that you have seen that have, have created success in those reps? Yeah, Angie's list was a wild ride. I mean, certainly it was high growth and, um, you know, we were on the advertising side of the business. So we were calling into contractors that were A or B rated with one or more reports. So that's what my team was. That's what my team was doing. And, and, and a lot of my hiring, what I'm looking for in an interview, there, there's a company out there. Um, Dave Curlin is the CEO and president. And he taught me early on that, you know, there's five major weaknesses that a sales rep can have, and, and everybody has them to an extent. It's a matter of how, how big of a weakness are they, and it's need for approval, it's fear of rejection, low money tolerance, non-supported buy cycle, and then record collection. And so as, as I'm interviewing somebody, I'm looking for various um, levels of each of those five. And if it's, a, it's, if it's an enterprise sales position, they, they can't have many of those at all. If it's a, if it's an entry level sales position, you know, what, what are they allowed to have? And then what can I coach them out of is what I'm looking at. So you said, uh, I like that because you said everybody has these in some capacity. It's kind of like, what are you willing to accept? And, and then you said at the end, what are you willing to take on the, the role of coaching that? That's exactly right. What can you accept based on this role? So I know if it's enterprise or calling into fortune 500s, you know, you cannot have a need for approval. You cannot have a fear of rejection. Yeah, it might, they, it might be a little there. It might show up from time to time, but, but for the most part, they need to be absent of, of all of those. What do you mean by that concept of, of need for approval? 
So need for approval, I'm, I'm not going to plant my feet on a sales call. It's too important for me to be liked rather than be respected. I may sit here and tell you, hey, I want to be respected, but but in my heart of hearts, I would rather walk off of that call without getting the sale and have them like me. If somebody has a high need for approval, that's their belief. How do you get that in the in the interview process? How do you see that in a, in a, a potential hire? I'll do a couple of things and, and basically just make comments as if they're truth when they're absolutely incorrect. And I want to see if that sales rep uh, nods their head and agrees with me, even though both of us are sitting there staring at each other, knowing that what I said is incorrect. It just depends on the specific interview, but I want, I want them to fight me. I want them to stand up for themselves and say, that doesn't sound right. Or no, that's not accurate or, or something like that. I want them to put themselves out there. Then I know that they don't have a high need for approval. So talk to me about that, that coaching concept though. Like how do what do you see this role of coaching uh, especially with with regards to high performing salespeople, how do you play that role? You know, coaching is 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 my number one job. Um, you know, other sales managers or VPs out there, uh, they may think it's a lot of different things, but I feel like improving the talent that I have on the team is is why I'm here. And so it comes down to not being efficient with your people. Right, spending time with them, listening, seeing what motivates them, and 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 trying to put processes in place that will help them improve day after day. And so, it, it's one thing to just say, "Here's our sales process. Good luck. Go get them." It's another thing to teach the sales process, reinforce the sales process, ask for feedback. How is it going? Listen to call reviews, call recordings, and and it's a it's a continual work in progress. Like. It doesn't matter if they've been there two weeks or 20 years inside your organization. Every, everybody needs, needs coaching. Scott, I've heard from several uh, people who listen to this show. They, they might be in situations where they have a VP of sales or a director of sales, but they're not getting this from them. What advice might you have for that sales rep, maybe a junior sales rep that's seeking growth and not getting it from their management? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to look outside your organization. When I started, I wasn't, I was in that seat. I wasn't getting the the coaching that I wanted. And so I went out and I found that mentor and I found that process and, and paid for it on my, my own dime. So don't necessarily expect the company to, to, you know, prime you for success. Hopefully, hopefully you're in a situation where they are doing that and they're willing to continue to do that. But if you, if you find yourself in a situation where they're not, you may need to look outside your four walls. You know, there's folks like you in town. There's some great ne- networking events. There are people that are are willing to help you. Uh, it's just going to be a little bit more difficult if they're not inside your own organization. You're going to have to take a little proactive effort on your part to, to find those folks. That's good. I want to talk more about Greenlight Guru now and, and really, obviously, the processes around that. This You are selling now into a highly regulated, compliant industry You know, with regards to medical devices. I would imagine these are some pretty lengthy sales cycles. So two-part question. First off, how are you opening up new opportunities and how are you managing what I assume to be a lengthy sales process? We're really fortunate actually because we have plenty of inbound leads at this point. There's, we have fantastic content and you know, God bless our marketing department for what they do. The content out there drives people to our website. They engage at some point in time, they raise their hand for you know a, a demo and that's when we that's when we start our sales process with a with an orientation call. 
So uh, we, we're really lucky at this point. We're just starting to uh, test the waters with some outbound effort, and but we don't have to go too far. We're really looking inside our own database. People that have reached out to us in the past, we were never able to fully engage with them, and so we're reaching out to see if, if things have changed. Well, you said you're taking them from essentially paper and pen and Excel to now software as a service. Is that transition for them something that they logically understand or how are you moving them to the new world? The challenge with our prospects are kind of threefold. Number one, they're, they are very cautious thinkers. So these are typically engineers. They are uh, in an early stage startup more often than not. So they have low funding. And then they really don't have a process for buying. It's one thing if you're selling to a, a VP of sales or, a, or a, a CMO, they've bought stuff before. They've bought software before. They understand um, what it's like to, you know, what questions to ask. And ultimately, they are ready to sign on the dotted line when, when the time comes. The folks we're talking to haven't typically been through that process. So we have to educate along the way. And part of how we do that is in our upfront contract, we actually talk about what our sales process looks like. It's going to be four major milestones. On the second major milestone, that's when you're going to get live product demo. That's when you're going to hear what our pricing is. On the fourth milestone, the expectation is we're going to make a decision whether we want to work together or not. And it's okay if we don't, but, and and all this is going to happen inside about 30 to 35 days. So we're trying to educate, we're trying to show them what a sales process looks like from our very first call. Typically, most salespeople that I've ever met are either D's or I's. Um, and you're telling me you're essentially selling to the C profile, that engineer, that data-driven person who really hasn't bought before. Talk to me more about some of the challenges that you, you're facing in that, that cycle. It is tricky because they oftentimes sound like a perfect prospect because they want to absorb as much information as you're willing to share. They will show up for that orientation call. They're certainly going to show up for that demo. They're going to ask questions. They're naturally curious. Again, they're just sponges. So they can quickly look like the perfect prospect. The reality is, how do you, how do you figure out who's real and who's not as early on in the sales process as possible? That's the challenge. So by us doing a very clear and thorough upfront contract, hopefully we can vet some of that out early on. How experienced is your team? Like, Do you have a lot of people who have product knowledge uh, prior to and sales knowledge prior to joining you? So our typical AE does not have med device experience. Uh, we teach the industry, but they do have um, a couple years of software experience, not a ton, usually in that two to three year range when they start. The reason why I'm asking that is because... Um, what you're saying makes sense to me, but I've been doing this for you know almost 17 years now. Um, but but to be able to show up to as what you said, someone who sounds and looks like a perfect prospect, and not be able to to vet out whether or not they actually truly are a prospect, that's hard. That's hard enough for pros, right? Let alone people who are just learning the the, pro the product that you have as well as the sales process. How are you training and coaching your reps at that point? It is hard. And, and to say we do it perfect today, I'd be lying to you. We get a lot of people that get all the way through the sales process. We spend a lot of time with them. They put their toes on the finish line and they just can't, they just can't take that last step. So we're still, you know, trying to figure out the secret sauce, but we, you know, we play with our, our sales uh, process. We, we tweak our upfront contract, our messaging. We're driving for decision makers to be involved 
earlier in the sales process. Um, the, the nice thing about our business is we get a lot of at-bats. Uh, back to the, the, the inbound lead volume, the fact that a, you know, an account exec can, can get you know, 20 to 30 new opportunities that they're working per month they get a lot of at bats. They get a lot of repetitions, and so they can get really good and really uh, tuned into the sales process. So that's certainly helpful. You've been doing this now for almost twenty years, I think it is, Scott. How do you sustain the growth that you've experienced, both with yourself and with your team, without getting burnt out? Right? There, it's kind of like this mentality of "What have you done for me lately?" Yeah, I mean, you know, welcome to sales, right? It's it's you go from <laughs> sure. hero to zero overnight based on uh, how the calendar falls, but. Um, you know, from a management perspective, I, I, I trust my people to do their job. You know, I'm hiring adults. Um, I, I train them well. I expect them to come in and, and do what it takes to be successful. We, we celebrate here. We have fun. You know, it's, 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 it's not uncommon for the team to be having a beer after work on a weeknight. They just enjoy each other. Um, everybody's, you know, celebrating when, when you get the victory, like everybody should in sales, and, and I really try to over-communicate. I want people to know how they fit inside this organization and why what they're doing is so important to the bigger picture. It might, it might seem obvious in sales, but if, if you don't have leadership talking about it, you can, you can forget pretty easily. And I, and I want them to know that every deal that we bring across the finish line, how it impacts the organization allows us to do bigger and better and greater things. Scott, one of the things that I have found fascinating about your career is very early on, you were actually a trainer. I know we're both Sandler guys at heart. So what was that like kind of st almost starting your career in a training aspect? It was scary, to be honest, the first day when, you know, I'm in my mid-20s and all of a sudden I'm training, uh, you know, CEOs and VPs and guys and gals in their, you know, 40s and 50s. Um, it was, what I learned really quick is people there are no sale. There were no sales professionals out there, in my opinion. Now I'm taking that to the extreme, but people that I was working with, they they didn't have any understanding of what a sales process was. They didn't know how to prospect. They didn't know how to how to put a process in place. And and it was amazing how many of those companies were out there. So what it taught me was, you know, yeah, I'm 25, I'm 26, and I'm I'm trying to educate these folks on on sales, but I already knew more about sales than they did over a 20 year period because they just kept winging it and they never really built processes over those 20 years. So it was, it was, a, it was a great aha moment for me early in my career, gave me a huge boost of confidence. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of what started me on the trajectory of, of how I got to where I am today. Scott, you told me a story quite a while ago that I just, it's always just stuck with me. You used to do a little trick to get yourself psyched up to call directly onto CEOs. Can you share that? Sometimes it's just a game you have to play. Um, there's actually two things that I'll, I'll share. One, I, I, I just believed in my heart of hearts when I was younger. If, if my company could send out a mailer and, and then that would make my follow-up call so much easier right? The, the weight would be lifted. I could call, I could reference the, the mailer. This was 20 years ago, remember, right? So a lot of snail mail going on at that time. And my boss looked me in the eye and he said, all right, the mailer just went out. Now go pick up the phone and make the call. What that taught me was, okay, what if it's just my belief system, 
right? I don't, I don't need an email or a mailer to go out in order to do a follow-up call. All it did was make me a little bit more comfortable. And I did the same thing with post-it notes. So if I'm, if I'm prospecting ABC company and I need to call that CEO and for some reason I'm, I'm worried or nervous about making that call, write a post-it note, CEO's name, phone number, go grab a cup of coffee, come back to your desk. And what if you were surprised to see that post-it note on your desk, right? You come back, oh, Bob Smith, ABC company, here's the phone number. And you were to call that phone, uh, that phone number, you might say something very relaxed like, hey, Bob, it looks like you had reached out. I just wanted to return the call. What did you have in, you know, what would you like to talk about? Very nice, easy, relaxed uh, phone call. So sometimes it's just, you know, you got you to gotta almost fake your way into relaxing because you, you've got those tools. You've got that you've got that ability inside you. You just got to get out of your own way. It's, it's again, I just, it has stuck with me for a long time. I find it both funny, but also very, um, approachable because, you know, I have so many of the people that I work with that have call reluctance. And so I try to get them over that by multiple different ways. And I've shared your story uh, with some of them, but you're right. It is that belief system, right? And, and even getting past gatekeepers, I had this conversation the other day, one of my clients called up said, Jim, how do you get past gatekeepers? Right. And well, First off, I say, you don't. How about you treat them as people and have a conversation with them as well, right? But one of the ways I do try to get past them is just, I call like I'm owning the place. It's that, it's that belief system. I might call you up, but I, or, you know, if I get your, your assistant or, you know, your gatekeeper, you will like, Hey, I'm trying to get a hold of Scott. Is, is he still around this afternoon? Right. And all of a sudden everything changes. My, my tone's different. I don't sound like a typical salesperson trying to sell something. And more often than not, I get put through to whoever it is that I'm, I'm calling on. So I, I love that technique and I think it's uh, extremely valuable. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's all, it's all the tonality. It's the word choice. It's the internal confidence. Uh, you, you've seen people that weren't necessarily invited to a party and they just walk in like they own the place. <laughs> that's, that's the in-person version of what you're talking about. It does. It does. Absolutely. Uh, Scott, what about, um, you know, what, what is the most common thing, I guess, going back to beliefs, the most common thing that you've seen salespeople do to lose control of a sales process? Oh man, just, uh, just not having an upfront contract. I, 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 I'm such a believer in, in that tool. And if you can get a good upfront contract down pat, that allows you to take control of a call. So Scott, you and I know what that is, but just for a listener out there who maybe doesn't have an idea what that is, can you kind of walk through the idea of what you're talking about with an upfront contract? It's a Sandler term and it's, it's basically laying out the ground rules, uh, at the beginning of a call. And those ground rules are not my rules, not my, as a sales guy, not just my rules. It's, it's what rules are we going to play by today? So I might share what I want to get out of the call. I want to ask what you want to get out of the call. And then the key piece is before you and I get off the call today, let's decide together what the next steps are. That might be a demo. It might mean we just need to continue this conversation. It might need, mean we need to pull in other resources. I don't know, but let's figure it out before we get off the call. Is that fair? They're going to say, yep. And then even if I start to get derailed during that call, I can always go back to my upfront contract. Hey, I feel like we're getting off track today. I know we wanted to talk about A, B, and C, like we, like we mentioned earlier. Let's get back on that. And then at the end of the call, if they say, okay, well, thanks, I got a roll. Hey, ho, 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 before you go. You know, we talked about kind of dialing in, dialing up next steps before we, can we do that now? It, it allows me a lot of uh, flexibility to, to maintain control over the entire length of the call. I think it's almost just, um, 
it, well, it is expectation setting, but once somebody agrees to it, it's really hard for them to break their own pattern of, well, I gave him my word. I, I kind of have to do what I agreed to do. Yeah. And I'm not trying to paint somebody in a corner. I don't want them to be uncomfortable with the upfront contract. I want them to, I want to give them an out. Like if you don't like what we're saying, if this, if this conversation is not going well, please tell me, I promise, uh, you know, I'm not going to hold anybody hostage. Uh, we can part friends and, and, you know, all good. So I'm not trying to paint anybody in a corner during my upfront contract. Yeah. What I like to tell people is sales calls should happen with prospects, not to them. Perfect. Yep. Love it. <laughs> so Scott, a lot of the, of my audience always, you know, the feedback that I get is you're talking to great people. I get it, but I can't relate to everything they've done. Show me a time where they've actually failed because they feel like they're failing every single day. Sometimes is there a failure story that you can talk about and share with the audience? Failure is funny because some people define failure as black and white. And, and I, I laugh because I, I failed daily. It could be, you know, simply my mom telling me I don't call her enough. It could be, I'm not working out, uh, as, as much as I should. So there's these, you know, micro failures along the way, but you know, all, all joking aside, I feel like, and I still struggle with this cause it, it takes, it takes a lot of time to do it well, but I, I don't feel like I prepare enough for weekly individual meetings. I call them whims. Those are my one-on-ones with each of my, um, each of my reps every week. And, you know, I, I don't want to be efficient with them. I think I mentioned that earlier, but I, I really need to strive to be present. I need to be prepared. And so from my perspective as a manager, that's, that's difficult because, you know, there's, there's things that get in the way you're pulled in a million different directions. And so I hate when I show up to a whim and I'm not ready for them or I'm not prepared. And, and so that's, that's, that's where I've struggled um, in the past. I want to dive a little bit more into that. So I, I'm going to ask a, maybe a weird question, but as you've gotten older or more experienced, uh, in your career, what has become less important to you? I mean, that's a tough one because I, th I think I've just, I've had some clarity around what is important. So the way you ask the question, like what's less important, what's really important is maybe I'll answer it that way. So what's really important is, is, Practice, 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 practice. And when you get on the phone, do what comes natural, right? If you, if you try and read literally or, or off a script, it's, it's going to sound scripted. So practice your butt off, get on the call, do what comes natural. And as soon as you have an opportunity to listen to that call recording, debrief yourself, practice some more, get on the call, do what comes natural. So, you know, I, I think it's those repetitions. There was a, uh, there was a commercial out not too long ago and it was Tom Brady. So as a Colts fan, I struggle to talk about this, but <laughs> it, it said, you are the sum of your, um, it was either the sum of your repetitions or you're the sum of your practice. And it showed Tom Brady's all over the screen, you know, thousands of Tom Brady's by the end of the commercial. And, and what that's saying is you're only as good as, as the effort you put in. And that effort can be built over time. So, you know, if you're constantly practicing and you're constantly perfecting your craft, I think that's what's important as it relates to sales success. I like that. And, and the thing that kind of stood out there for me is a lot of people look at Tom Brady and think, you know, he shows up 16 times a year and plays his football game. And that's all the practice he gets in sales. You showing up for a sales call is not practice. 
Practice is all exactly of the right. times before you jump on that sales call that you've gone through your information, you know your product, you know the questions, you know the pains that customers might be having. And, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges I'm starting to see come up with a lot of salespeople is, again, they think the sales call is their practice, and it's just not true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Scott, I got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Scott, are you ready for the money round? Bring it on. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? IR theory. That's the difference between your um, identity and your role, separating the doer from the deed. Okay. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Oh, man, just just stick to whoever the top rep inside your organization is and be naturally curious. Listen to how they manage calls. Listen to how they uh, uh, you know, handle their pipeline. Um, I think that would be the best way to do it over the next 30 days. Okay. Two-part question here for you. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I'm a love to win guy in, in sales. You're losing a lot. And so, you know, that's, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough go if you're, if you hate to lose. So that's, that's why I focus on, I love to win. All right. What's a book, Scott, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? So there's a book out there and I've listened to the audio version because I love the way she um, narrates it. It's, it's You're a Badass by Jen Cicero, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, it, a lot of what I've talked about today is conceptual. It's that belief structure. And that book is fantastic to reinforce how much of a stud you are. And so it's, it, it's probably a good book. It's a fantastic audio book. And then my second one would be uh, Augment, you know, University Success, all these short little reads. Um, I, I've always found a, a lot of enjoyment in reading that. Well, you teed this one up for me perfectly with uh, the fact that you did it on on, uh, on audio. So sales tuners, uh, if you'd like to check out Scott's suggestion of you're a badass for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Scott, what's something that you believe in that nearly no one agrees with you on? I don't know if I don't I don't know if nobody believes me, but I still am a, I still have a belief that the phone is more powerful than email. We are we're an email heavy um, society today, especially with salespeople, and I still feel like dollar for dollar, I get you on the phone, I have some tonality, I can get some context in the call. That phone call is more powerful than any email I'm going to send. Preach. I wish we could spend an hour talking about that. I don't know why we didn't. <laughs> so, Scott, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales sooners out there grinding today? Man, have fun. You know, look in the mirror, uh, 
it's a it's a fantastic profession that you're in. It's enjoyable. If you if you beat yourself down, it's a it's a nasty slide. Have fun. Just enjoy what you're doing. Perfect your craft, and and it's a great ride. I'm gonna get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to? Yeah, so LinkedIn would be perfect. Scott Kramer with a C. Sometimes people spell it with a K. Or my email is scott.kramer at greenlight.guru. Scott, this has been awesome. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Jim. As we went through this conversation, I found myself to be a lot like Scott, not one to sit around in one spot for too long, but it's the combination of all those unique experiences that built the perspective that we all have today. I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, stop trying to wing it. Just because salespeople fall under the category of influencers doesn't mean we've earned the right to wing it. Buyers will let you own the process if you're willing to, meaning if you have a structured process, if you're working someone through a pain funnel, articulating your next step, your audience will typically let you work. It's when you try to just wing it that the system breaks down and you ultimately lose control of the sales process. Number two, know your weaknesses. Scott mentioned there being five major weaknesses that every salesperson has in some capacity. Need for approval, fear of rejection, low money tolerance, non-supported buy cycle, and record collection. Knowing where you sit in each of these allows you to seek the coaching or mentorship needed for your growth. And number three, understand your identity versus your role. All of us have a unique identity comprised of our beliefs, values, principles, desires, and emotions. We also have a plethora of roles that we play, such as son or daughter, mother or father, friend, coworker, or salesperson. If we confuse the performances in our roles with our identity, our self-image can and will go up and down with each success or failure. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guest, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay-